Hi, I'm Edwards Sree, and welcome to All Things Catholic, where real faith meets real life. Did you know that every little detail in the biblical account of Christ's birth is there for a reason? Every little detail in that biblical story is charged with great significance, with powerful meaning. Did you know that every little detail is there to point out how a prophecy is being fulfilled or a hope is being realized or something's being revealed about who this child is and the amazing work of salvation he came to accomplish in our lives? Every detail is there for a reason. I share this because I think sometimes we Christians, we can we can kind of take the biblical story of Christ's birth for granted. We say, oh, I know it. I'm so familiar with it. I heard it from my childhood. Yeah, I know there was a census and Mary and Joseph had to move down to Bethlehem and they had to put the baby in a manger and there were shepherds nearby in a field, a star in the sky and angels appearing. I know the story and we know the details, but do we know their meaning? Do we understand them the way a first century Jew would understand them? I want to invite you to enter into the biblical accounts anew. I want you to hear them the way they would have been heard when they were first told. Because there's so much here that from the eyes of a first century Jew, they would be seeing, this is amazing. Our our story, all of our hopes, everything's coming to fulfillment. And there's so much in these stories that are there to help encourage us in our walk with the Lord. And we miss out on it because we say, oh, I already know the story. So if you want to go deeper this Christmas, you want to go deeper into the biblical account of Christ's birth, stay tuned because that's what we're going to talk about in this week's podcast. Welcome to All Things Catholic. I'm your host, Edward Sree. So excited here as we're about to enter the Christmas season. Uh, a lot happening. It's been fun in the Sree household. I have everybody home I know it's awesome. I got my two college kids are back and my daughter who got married last year, she and her husband have moved to Denver recently. So we get to see them and and the house is a lot louder now with everybody back and it's beautiful. I absolutely am so thankful for for the time we were already getting and uh, time we're we're going to get. You know, we got to go hear Handel's Messiah together, which is a tradition every once in a while we would go as a family to get to hear the symphony. And it's one of my favorite pieces of music. I think I want to do a podcast on Handel's Messiah sometime because there, there's so much rich history, not just for the music, but also the theology and the biblical prophecies in this uh, in this text, in the account of Christ. You know, this was John Paul II's favorite piece of music, Handel's Messiah. And so if you've never really spent much time with it, or all you know is the Alleluia chorus, <laughs> you know, everyone knows that one. But, but it, it is a great piece of music to listen to all throughout the year, because it's not just about the birth of Christ. That's the first part, you know, good for Advent and Christmas. But it's all about the life of Jesus, his passion, his death, the second coming. John Paul II's favorite piece of music. And I wasn't planning on getting into this, but I want to share with you something. I, I was blessed. I had a most amazing experience. I'll never forget this performance in Rome of Handel's Messiah that I got to attend with John Paul II. I got to go with JP2 as the Vienna Symphony Orchestra came down to Rome. And I, I think it was for his like 50th anniversary of his priesthood. So it was a, it was like a gift they gave him, or maybe it was for his birthday. I forget what, what the occasion was. 
but they gave him this gift and I had a friend from Austria that had tickets and uh, we were able to go watch and, and, you know, I wasn't sitting next to JP too. It's a room of probably a thousand people who are, you know, at least several hundred and, but, but, you know, he's maybe 30 rows in front of me and I just saw him the whole time just mesmerized and just taking it all in. And, and it, it, it's an amazing piece. And we got to go uh, listen to it here as a family this weekend. Hope you get to listen sometime yourself. But I'm going to ask for prayers before we start. I'm going to ask for prayers for the amazing Seek Conference. Do you know about the Focus Seek Conference every year? They they gather, this year it's going to be about 20,000 people. <laughs> it's amazing. All these college students, young, uh, young adults coming together to worship Jesus, to hear from great speakers like Father Mike Schmitz, Sister Miriam, Curtis Martin, uh, so many amazing people. Matt Frad's going to be there. The list goes on and on. And it's an incredible experience. We're all gathered gathering in St. Louis, January 1st through the 5th. But please pray. I'm going to ask your prayers because I know so many lives are changed. I've met many people who've told me they decided to become a priest uh, at the Sikh conference. I've met many people who've told me that that was the moment of their conversion. That was the first time they went back to confession since their childhood. So many amazing things can happen but we need prayer. More important than the speakers and the music and the stage and the lights, more important is the prayer and the grace behind all of that. It's so moving when you you see a line of 6,000 people going to confession. And again, many of them coming back to Jesus for the first time. Would you please pray for these young people? Please pray that they will be open to whatever the Holy Spirit is is inviting them to in their lives, that they may not let any fear of of guilt or shame keep them away from Christ's forgiveness, that they may encounter Jesus in Eucharistic adoration, that they may be encouraged and blessed by authentic friendships and the fellowships that, that, that they experience with, with all these other young people that are there. Please pray for them. Uh, I, I greatly appreciate that. Well, we're going to dive into this text now, though. I want to get into the story of Christmas and... Um, let me, let me read you this line. I'm going to give an example here. I'm going to read you a, a passage that I'm sure you've heard. You're going to, if you go to Midnight Mass, this is the reading, and you'll hear it you know, throughout the week of Christmas as well. You've heard this before, but I want you to pay attention. I want you to listen to what is the key word that Luke's gospel uses multiple times. What is Luke drawing our attention to? What word stands out? Are you ready? In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be enrolled. This was the first enrollment when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be enrolled, each to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be enrolled with Mary. What word was used four times? Did you catch it? Enrolled. Enrolled, enrolled, enrolled. This isn't about enrolling in classes. This is about being enrolled in a census. And you may know that a census was used not just to get nice statistics, how many people live in the land, but as to learn where they are, how can we find them so we can get their money, so we can tax them. That was the purpose. And Luke's gospel starts the whole story of, of Christ's birth on the, on the worldwide stage. It's talking about the, the, the Roman emperor, Caesar Augustus, and he's calling everyone to be enrolled. And, and so it's a context of Roman oppression, suffering, and, and, and all these people having to pick up and move to go to their ancestral town, the town where they were, where they were from, to be counted in the census so they could be exploited more efficiently by the Romans and their taxes. That's the context of the story. And one of those families on the move 
is Mary and Joseph. And Mary's in her last trimester. This would be really hard to like pick up and move in the middle of her last trimester. She's got to go all the way down to Bethlehem. That'd be about a three to four day journey. And she's not taking a nice Uber down there or a limousine or a bus. No, no, she's probably walking, maybe on a donkey. This would be very uncomfortable for anybody. Well, that's the context of the story. It's, it's Jesus is going to be coming into this world of suffering, this world of oppression, and, and he's going to come and bring his peace and bring his love. And that's the pattern for how Jesus works in all of our lives. So before we even move further in the story, and the, and the really cool stuff is coming up here, but I, I just want us just to reflect on that. Reflect on what are, what are the areas right now in our lives that we're feeling weighed down. <laughs> we're feeling oppressed, maybe not by dictators, or, but maybe we just feel oppressed by a spirit of fear or a spirit of anxiety in our lives. Or maybe we're, there's someone not treating us well, maybe a certain family member that doesn't understand us, or maybe it's our boss, or maybe it's a friendship that's, that's going under strain. And you know we feel this darkness, we feel this weight. Know that Jesus is Emmanuel, the same Jesus that entered into the world's darkness, that entered into Israel's suffering under Roman oppression in the census. That's that same Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. He came and entered into it to bring freedom, to encourage us, to help us. And so right now, just think about whatever that, that burden is that you're carrying, whatever that cross is that you're carrying. And especially in December, a lot of us have different stresses and crosses and sorrows. It's a great time to remember Jesus wants to enter into that. He's God with us. He's Emmanuel. He's coming to enter in and shine his light in our darkness. Now, another point I want to highlight here is, is just how, how ironic this story is. And again, I think we miss this sometimes. Like, oh yeah, there's a census. They got to pick up. They got to move to Bethlehem. But let's think about this for a moment. I want you to think about the significance of Bethlehem. Why is Bethlehem so important? Did you know that there was another famous leader in Israel's history? A very famous leader that came from Bethlehem. Do you know who that was? That was David, David the king. He's the first king of Israel. In fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, we read about how David is anointed as king by the prophet Samuel. And, and he, David was just a shepherd. He's the youngest of his family, not someone you would expect to become the king. And yet God chose him and he is anointed and he becomes the great king, the founding of a dynasty, this little shepherd boy from Bethlehem. And, and, and what's fascinating is that uh, David is given various promises from God. He goes on to, to fight off the Philistines, to liberate the people from their oppressors. And, 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 he, and, and he expands the borders and brings peace into the land. And he builds the temple in Jerusalem and leads the people to worship God. David had some stumbles along the way, but overall, he, he was a good man, the Bible says, after the Lord's own heart. And, and God gave promises that, that his dynasty, his kingdom would last forever. And, and, and what we see is there's a great prophecy that comes later in the Bible in Micah chapter 2. Now, I bet most of you don't sit around and do Lexio Divina on Micah. Um, maybe I doubt you have like a women's group or a men's group at your parish. We're going we're to study Micah. Now, some of you might, and that's an awesome Bible study. You know, I'm a Bible geek, so I would get into like a Bible study on Micah. But most people don't know much about Micah. One thing that's fascinating that I want to tell you about Micah 
is that he is coming to make a great announcement about the coming of a king, a king that's going to come to Jerusalem. But where does this king come from? In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, we read that this king will come from Bethlehem. And, and when he comes, he's, he says, it says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, uh, who are little among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient of days. So there's going to be a great ruler, a great king from the tribe of Judah uh, coming to be born in Bethlehem. So there's a prophecy about this great king that's going to come. Now, now here's something really cool that this prophecy goes on to say in Micah chapter 5. Verse 4 tells us that he's going to come, and you know what he's going to do? He's going to feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, and he shall, and the, the people will dwell secure for now. He shall be great to the ends of the earth. So this king who's going to come in the future, he's described as feeding his flock like a shepherd. Who was the first king of Israel? David. Where was David from? Bethlehem. And what was David before he was king? He was a shepherd. Now, this prophecy of Micah 5 says the future king, the new son of David, where is he going to come from? Bethlehem. And what is he going to be? Like a shepherd. Shepherd imagery. And when you read the biblical account, when you read that story of Jesus is born and angels appear over the fields, who are the first people to hear about the coming of Jesus, the birth of the Messiah. Who gets the first announcement? Is it the Pharisees, the great Jewish teachers? No, they don't, they don't get this news. Is it the Sadducees, the, 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 the priests that are ruling in Jerusalem? Uh, do any of them get this great announcement from the angels about the coming of Jesus? No, they don't get this news. Is it King Herod? Is it the wealthy people? Does Caesar in Rome get this an angelic announcement? No. But you know who hears? These shepherds, shepherds in Bethlehem. You see, it all fits together. David was a shepherd. His city is Bethlehem. And who gets the announcement? Shepherds from the city of Bethlehem. There's every little detail. Every little detail is here to tell us something. Now, the, the Bible goes on. It tells us that Mary will give birth to her firstborn son, wrap him in swelling clothes, and laid him in a manger. I'm just going to make a side comment here. Many people get a little stressed out when they hear that Mary gave birth to her firstborn son. They're like, oh, wait, wait, that, that Jesus is the firstborn? Does that imply he had, he had other siblings, younger brothers and sisters? You know, he's the firstborn of, of a series of children that came. You need to know that's not what this means. In the, you know, in the first century Jewish world, if you were the only son, you were still called the firstborn. This is not a reference like we would use in English today of like, the, you know, if you're the firstborn, then there's a, that implies there's a secondborn and maybe a thirdborn, like the first in a series. That's not the case in ancient biblical times. The ancient Jews saw that firstborn was a title given to the first child to come out of the womb. Whether there was any, any other children or not, you were, even if you were the only child, you were still called the firstborn. But here, let, let's tie this together again, because this is pointing, this is all pointing to how the, this child, as the firstborn, he's the one dedicated to the Lord. He's consecrated to the Lord. But in the biblical tradition, he would be the one to receive the blessing, the blessing passes through him. And what is the blessing? It's like a royal priestly anointing. 
And that blessing that goes from all the way from Adam through Noah, through Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, through Judah, the line of Judah, it continues to pass all the way down to a man named David and his son Solomon and all the way down to a man named Joseph. And eventually it'll be passed on to this child here, who's the firstborn, Jesus. Jesus is the firstborn. It's a royal title. He receives the blessing. In other words, he is the anointed king. So all of this comes together here. Bethlehem, city of David, shepherds, firstborn. It's all related and pointing to Jesus as the king. Now, when we read the story, you know, up to this point, we're all excited. This is the great king. He's coming to establish his kingdom and we're under all this oppression. He's going to come and liberate us from the Romans and fight off the, the Roman rulers who've been oppressing us and taxing us. That's what we would be expecting if we were first century Jew. But Luke's gospel here gives us a little detail, a tiny little detail that shows us something so important about how this king will establish his kingship. You know, I always like to highlight how, you know, of all the things Luke could tell us about the coming of Jesus, why do we need to know that this child was wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger? That's the only little detail we get from Luke's gospel. <laughs> Everything else in the story is about the census and Caesar and Joseph and the, uh, and the shepherds and the angels. There's actually only just one verse, only one tiny verse about the birth of Jesus. And all we get is... He was wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. I mean, if I, you know, I don't know if I, if I heard that, you know, one of my colleagues at, at work, she had a baby and, and, I, and I had all the details and my wife asked me, oh, tell me about the baby. And I said, oh, the baby was wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a crib. Like, like but my wife's going to be like, wait, wait, no, is it a boy or a girl? Is it, how much does the baby weigh? What color eyes? Is the baby, how's the mom doing? You know, uh, as a dad, I'd want to know, did Joseph cut the cord? I think that'd be interesting, you know? <laughs> so, but, but why do I need to know the baby was wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger? It's because the biblical writers, when they tell their story, they often use two key words and they'll use them back to back. And then later they'll do a parallel. They'll use the same two key words back to back later in the story to make a point, to make a connection between the two stories the two scenes. And what's fascinating is in Luke's gospel, he has 24 chapters in his gospel. And of all, the, all those chapters, there's only two times, two times that Luke uses these two key verbs back to back, wrapped and laid. The first time comes here in Luke chapter two, verse seven, at the nativity, the baby's wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. The other time is at the end of the story. At the end of the story, when Jesus dies on Good Friday, what do they do? They take the body of Jesus down from the cross and they wrap the body in linen garments and they laid it in a tomb, wrapped and laid. What's Luke doing here? Luke is showing us a connection between Bethlehem and Calvary. He's showing us a connection between Christmas and, and Good Friday. What he's, what he's showing us is that the way Jesus enters this world is the way he's going to leave this world. In other words, the Bible's revealing that Jesus is the great king and he is coming to liberate us. He's coming to free us. He's coming to rescue us. He really is the Messiah, the, the one fulfilling all prophecy. But he's going to come and establish his kingdom, not in military power and might and the glory of this world. No, no, that's not how Jesus is going to establish his kingdom. 
he's going to establish his kingdom in the simple way. He's going to establish it coming humbly. He's going to come in poverty and humility and rejection and in suffering. You see, because if you really get what's happening in the Christmas story, you see he's born under the Roman census in this, in this period of oppression. He he's, has to be put in a manger, which is this feeding trough for the animals. The Son of God, the King of Kings, is treated so horribly. This would be hard for any mom to have her baby just put into this place where the goats were eating out of. <laughs> but this would be a particular burden for Mary, who realizes this isn't any ordinary child. This is the Holy Son of God. And so this there's this little detail that the baby was wrapped in swallowing clothes laid in a manger, reminding us of his poverty, his aust- the austerity of his surrounding his, his birth, the suffering surrounding his birth. And he comes in such utter humility. Nobody notices. The kings aren't there to greet him. Now we know the, the, the wise men will come, the magi later, but, but the kings of Israel, meaning Herod or the, 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 the rulers of Israel at that time, they, they don't even notice. Jesus is born in such obscurity but it's all foreshadowing how he's going to establish his kingdom on the cross. He, because on the cross, we will see him in utter poverty, stripped, beaten, spit at, mocked, and nailed to a cross. Such poverty, such humility, such rejection, such suffering. And, and what we, we as readers are getting a little taste amidst the joy of Christmas and the joy of the angels singing glory to God in the highest. And we really are joyful in this Christmas season. But as St. John Paul II pointed out, we're already getting a little foreshadowing, a subtle anticipation of the suffering of this king. But what a beautiful king we have. What a beautiful God we have that he enters into our darkness, our loneliness, He enters into our own humble sufferings in life and he's coming in solidarity to unite himself to us and to rescue us. He does that clearly on Good Friday. But don't forget, my friends, he starts doing it right here on Christmas. So practically, let's join Jesus. Let's seek to join him at the manger. Join him and thank him for coming, but join him in our own littleness when we have opportunities over this Christmas season to take the back seat to not be the center of attention. It gives us a chance to be humble like Jesus. When we have opportunities to sacrifice and give in to someone's preferences, my spouse, my children, or a relative, you know, I I don't really want to do this, but okay, I'll watch this movie with them, or I don't really want to eat this, but they want to eat this. Those little acts of sacrifice. Think of Jesus and the sacrifice he made, not just on Calvary, but that he made by coming among us. And in this this horrible situation under the Roman oppression in in such poverty. There's no room for him. He has to be put in a manger. The next time we feel slighted, we feel misunderstood. Imagine how Jesus felt not just on Good Friday, but even as a baby, the son of God treated this way with no appreciation, no love coming from the world. Let's remember Jesus in his humility and his suffering this Christmas And when we have little crosses that will come up, when we travel and we're stressed out or someone snaps and someone doesn't treat us well, just think about how Jesus had so many people snap and say things that weren't kind and didn't treat him well on Good Friday. But also he's not treated well here at Christmas. 
So many things we could get into. I'm going to pause here. I want you to reflect on this. And may you have a blessed Christmas. Please pray for me and my family. I'll pray for you and your family. And Merry Christmas. God bless.